भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षरंगुष्टुवागुम सस्तनो व्यशेम देवित स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति न पूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्षो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओ शाति 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 ओम ओ गॉड्स मे वी हियर ऑस्पिशियस वर्ड्स विथ आर इयर्स वाइल एंगेज इन सैक्रिफाइसिस मे वी सी ऑस्पिशियस थिंग्स विथ आर आईज while praising the gods with steady limbs may we enjoy a life that is beneficial to the gods may indra of ancient fame be auspicious to us may the all knowing pusha god of the earth be propitious to us may garuda the destroyer of evil be well disposed towards us may brihaspati ensure our welfare om peace 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 i think Zoom is becoming smarter. It just gave me a message. It seems like you've switched your language. Confirm that you're speaking in English. The moment I switched to Sanskrit, it said. <laughs> All right. So we are studying the uh, Mundaka Upanishad, and uh, before we ended our class, the last class that was late last year, um, we. ended with the second chapter mundaka upanishad has three chapters each with two sections so we completed the second chapter the second section of second chapter and uh, we are going to start the third chapter the chapters are called mundakas so the third chapter we are going to start uh, the second chapter actually is sort of the high point of the upanishad as far as teachings are concerned our ultimate reality is brahman we are not just merely this these bodies not even the mind we are a limitless existence consciousness bliss and this brahman is the ultimate reality of this universe and ended on a very high point uh, amazing uh, very soaring mantra the last mantra of the second uh, chapter we did last time 11th mantra ब्रह्मेदम अमृत पुरस्ता ब्रह्म पश्चा ब्रह्म दक्षिणतरेण अधश्चौम च प्रसृत ब्रह्मेदम विश्वदम वरिष्ठ वॉट एवर इज इन फ्रंट इज ब्राह्मण वॉट एवर इज बिहाइंड अस इज ब्राह्मण वॉट एवर इज टू द राइट एंड टू द लेफ्ट इज ब्राह्मण वॉट इज अबव अस इज ब्राह्मण वॉट एवर इज बिलो अस इज ब्राह्मण this immortal limitless brahman so all of space what we consider space all around we are immersed in this ocean of brahman all of time before now afterwards brahman alone is what exists we see ourselves as very limited this little beings limited in time only here not there we we are limited in in space only here not there we are limited in time and that means we are born at one time and we die at another time and we are sort of moving through time that was my past there is something in the future and this little point of time which i am moving this is my present that's the way we are looking at it but actually from the perspective of brahman from our real nature 
time and space are appearances in our real nature. It's not that we are a little dot in time and space. We are this limitless being. So Brahman before us, Brahman behind us, Brahman above us, below us, to the left and to the right. We'll say, but I don't see Brahman anywhere. I'm just seeing the world. Exactly. This world, when it is truly known, in ignorance, we call it the world. In When we know it truly, this experience itself, we will see Brahman everywhere. We will understand that this is Brahman. Um, we ourselves, we think we are limited human beings. Uh, but when we, this is an ignorance. When we know ourselves as we are truly, we will realize, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. Vivekananda um, said, the only God I know, the only God I worship and I believe in, is the sum total of all human beings, is, is the one whom in ignorance people call human. That is the uh, only God I know or, or I believe in. So Brahman, the ultimate reality. So that was the high point. Now we are going to start the third mundaka, that is the third chapter, the first mantra of the third chapter. And this is another one of the most famous um, parts of the Upanishad. This Upanishad has so many wonderful, wonderful mantras. This is the famous uh, um, metaphor of the two birds sitting on a tree. The two birds of golden plumage sitting on a tree. It's very famous. You'll find it uh, uh, everywhere. When you talk about Upanishads, this is something that comes up often. And this is where it is from. We'll first read the uh, mantra and the translation. Then I'll speak about it for a while. Uh, actually, the first three mantras are about the two birds. Mantra 1, 2 and 3. But we'll take it one by one. First one introduces the metaphor. Dva suparna sayuja sakhaya Samanam riksham parishasvajate Tayoranya pippalam swadvati Anashnananyo abhichakashiti Two birds are ever associated and have similar names. They cling to the same tree. Of these, one eats the fruit of divergent tastes and the other looks on without eating. So two birds of golden plumage, they're sitting on the same tree. And um, the tree has fruits. One bird is hopping around and pecking the fruits and uh, tasting the different fruits. And the fruits have different tastes. Some are sweet, some are bitter. And the other bird, which is sitting high up, is not eating, is just looking on. So that's the metaphor. And of course, here, the, the tree is this body here. There's the body right here. And um, the two birds, the two birds are us. I am the two birds. But there is the higher self, the higher bird, and the lower self, the lower bird. The lower self is exactly what we are acquainted with right now. The higher self, we don't know. The Upanishad is going to, is going to reveal this to us. The lower self, what we are right now, we are tasting various fruits. That means the results of our past karma in this body. So the results are coming to this body. So those are the fruits. Some of them are sweet, but many of them are bitter or of mixed taste. And we go on. Uh, tasting them one after another. That's basically our life. And the higher bird, our real nature, it's right here. It's present right here alongside the lower nature, alongside the apparent nature. But that higher bird, our real nature, 
uh, it does it's two two things that said about it that it is similar to the lower nature the lower nature is similar to the higher nature that the two are two are similar birds of the same feather um, the higher bird is not eating and the higher bird is looking on it looks on without eating it illumines it witnesses so it is the witness and these two natures are there right now the higher one is hidden from us by ignorance and the Upanishad uh, aims to give us the knowledge which will reveal to us our real nature, the higher nature. And the lower nature is the one which is right now roaming around in the world. And a description of, of the life of the lower nature will be given. And what is the problem with it? A very vivid, very graphic description of what we are undergoing, our life in samsara. And then the higher nature, what is it like? And what's the point of realizing it? What will be? What will happen if you realize? How do you realize that? And if you do realize it, what happens? So, so basically, a description of our life here, our spiritual possibility, how to attain that possibility, and what is the result of spiritual enlightenment. So the entire spiritual journey, basically, is being shown, is going to be shown here. Um, Shankaracharya, in his introduction to this mantra, says, the highest truth has been already been stated. It's going to be restated here along with helpful practices, the practices which will help us towards enlightenment. That's the objective of the uh, of this third chapter. It's already been stated that you are Brahman. The identity of the G of Jiva and Brahman, of the individual and the cosmic, of the human and the divine, it's already been stated. But Shankaracharya says because it's inscrutable, it's subtle, it's um, uh, difficult to realize and grasp and therefore it's being restated in another way. This is the beauty of the Upanishads. They're all saying the same thing, but they're saying it again and again and again in multiple different ways. Who knows what will click? Who knows what will suddenly you know, make sense to us? Um, before I go ahead, Swami Vivekananda, more than once, several times, he talked about the two birds. Let me give you one example. I'll read from Vivekananda, from the complete works. This is from volume one. Two birds, Vivekananda says, two birds of beautiful plumage, inseparable companions, sat upon the same tree, one on top and one below. The beautiful bird below was eating the fruits of the tree, sweet and bitter, one moment a sweet one and another a bitter. The moment he ate a bitter fruit, he was sorry. But after a while he ate another, and when it too was bitter, he looked up and saw the other bird, who ate neither the sweet nor the bitter, but was calm and majestic, immersed in his own glory. And then the poor lower bird forgot and went on eating the sweet and bitter fruits again, until at last he ate one that was extremely bitter. And then he stopped again and once more looked up at the glorious bird above. Then he came nearer and nearer to the other bird. And when he had come near enough, rays of light shone upon him and enveloped him. And he saw he was transformed into the higher bird. He became calm, majestic, free, and found there had been but one bird all the time on the tree. The lower bird 
but was but the reflection of the one above. So what does all this mean? Vivekananda says, so we are in reality, one with the Lord, but the reflection makes us seem many. As when the sun, one sun reflects in a million dewdrops and seems a million tiny suns. The reflection must vanish if we are to identify ourselves with our real nature, which is divine. The universe itself can never be the limit of our satisfaction. That is why the miser gathers more and more money. That is why the robber robs, the sinner sins. That is why you are learning philosophy. All have one purpose. There is no other purpose in life save to reach this freedom. Consciously or unconsciously, we are all striving for perfection. Every being must attain to it. Powerful words. So Vivekananda sees all of life. Like later, later on, Aurobindo would say that all life is yoga. When you consciously do it, he says, we are all do, doing the same thing. He says, Even the sinner is sinning and the, um, the pleasure seeker is enjoying pleasures. The robber is robbing and the greedy person is earning more and more money endlessly. And we are all learning Vedanta. And he says, it's all one purpose. We are all trying to reach that limitlessness, that freedom, that fulfillment, hmm. complete security, complete peace of mind. There is something intuitive, intuitively we have it in us that it's possible. Though everybody would say, and life itself seems to say it's not possible, but it, there is something deep within us which says it's possible. And that's what we are chasing. Um, but how does the Upanishad show it? The Upanishad says that there is this higher bird and the lower bird. The lower bird is going through various experiences, sweet and bitter. And then when it gets through enough of experiences, it suddenly looks upon the higher bird and sees how peaceful that bird is, how calm, how majestic, how fulfilled. Um, can I be like that? And it decides to move up towards the lower, uh, higher bird. But on the way, it gets distracted. And it sees a, a fruit particularly delicious looking fruit and things. Let me taste that just one more. And he goes and tastes it and that's it. And then it leads to another one. That one leads to another one. Until it, and it's completely forgotten the higher bird. And then until it tastes another particularly bitter fruit. And so on it goes again, awakening back to its uh, spiritual pursuit. Moves towards the higher bird. Hops, keeps on hopping as it comes closer to the higher bird. The golden plumage shines and it envelops it and it it becomes one with the higher bird, merges with it or realizes it's one with it and realizes it always was that. There was always this only one higher bird, uh, just as Vivekananda said, um, one sun shining in a million dewdrops. There are tiny little suns you will see in each dewdrop. It's not that there's one little sun, millions of little suns, and one big sun. There is only one big sun, which is reflected in all these dewdrops. Um, and this is the culmination of life. This is the end game, the, the final realization, fulfillment. This is spiritual life. The higher bird is a witness consciousness. The higher bird is God, uh, whatever you call it, the ultimate reality, Brahman. Now, in Vedantic terms, what is going on? Um, this body, this mind, 
and, and the mind uh, is uh, has many aspects there is the uh, you know the, the processing the mind itself called manas there is the memory called chitta there is the intellect which is trying to understand um, which is called buddhi and there is the ego the one appropriating factor but one which unites all of these activities the ahankara the ego in this mind is reflected consciousness real consciousness pure consciousness limitless awareness which is brahman is somehow reflected captured channelized um, in this mind this mind has uh, the mind is objective it is what is called jada insentient just like a rock outside just like a living body um, just like so the mind itself is also an object it's entirely material but it is very fine matter and so it has the capacity of reflecting channelizing or limiting um, pure consciousness as if and therefore it becomes animated it becomes uh, illumined and uh, uh, you know uh, surcharged with with uh, awareness so this is the lower bird the lower bird remember lower bird is the mind especially the ego let's just fix on the one thing the ego the sense of i because it's easy to locate within ourselves i this sense of i notice in the sense of i there are two things one is there is the mind it's a function of the mind it just says i just like you think thought a b c d is the is a thought 1 2 3 4 is a thought i'm feeling happy is a thought i understand i do not understand these are thoughts similarly i is a thought it's just a function of the mind notice it's a function of the mind i sometimes it's there sometimes it's not there when you are asleep it's not there when you are deeply focused you do you're not thinking i i but otherwise when you look always the sense of i is there that's the ego but there is another side to this i it shines it is aware and there is consciousness there illumination there awareness you might say what exactly are you talking about notice the sense of i there is an object there is a feeling of i and there is awareness you are aware of it so this awareness which is associated with i is called the reflected awareness what is it a reflection of of real awareness of pure consciousness it's like the face being reflected in a mirror or just like right now you're looking at your device you can see your own face in the device and it's a it's a picture of your face so here is my real face i can't see it but i can see my my the picture of my face in the in the camera uh, in the on the screen so that's a reflection or a picture similarly consider the screen to be like the mind or the ego and your own face reflected in the screen or pictured in the screen to be the consciousness reflected there and the real face consider it to be the real consciousness or pure consciousness so the pure consciousness the real consciousness uh, that is the higher bird uh, it is the one which is uh, which is the atman uh, which is right now we do not see it we do not get it what it is but it's always there and what we are aware of is uh, the reflection uh, is the mirror with the reflected face is the computer screen with the picture of your little face in there uh, with a little picture of your face in the computer so that's the lower bird and now 
the lower bird is associated with the mind and body the ego is a product of the mind and uh, it is the mind is closely associated with the body you know just as an aside here i often talk about the hard problem of consciousness and how consciousness cannot be reduced to brain but uh, one uh, subtle qualification here is that uh, vedanta vedanta sankhya they would all agree entirely with the materialists in saying that the mind is actually the brain the brain and the mind are deeply connected the brain is matter the mind is also matter the mind is also jada it, it's composed of subtle matter so brain is composed of uh, gross matter the mind is composed of subtle matter how do we know that anything that you are aware of anything that you are aware of is matter you are aware of the world it's matter it's an object you're aware of the body it's matter it's an it's object you're aware of the senses matter object and you are aware of of the contents of your own mind your emotions your feelings your memories and ideas understanding sense of ego all of that is matter 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 object they are all things some are gross things physical some are subtle things but they are all things and this reflected consciousness associated with the subtlest of these things the ego the lower bird it's very much associated with the mind body it's very much associated with the mind and body through this mind and body the thoughts in the mind so this this ego it thinks with the speech it speaks with the body it acts and once it acts it sets into motion the law of karma and past and karma is generated and accumulated and then we see in our lives the results of this karma the results of this karma are the fruits on the uh, tree the sweet and bitter fruits uh, which we which that lower bird goes on pecking and tasting we are we are the doers karta the lower bird the consciousness uh, reflected in the ego is the doer and is also the experiencer bhokta the one who does the action and the one who and is also the one who experiences the results of the action good and bad and uh, for do, doing this we are the low, that lower bird that reflected consciousness with the ego is provided with a body that's the tree and this body will last as long as certain amount of karma which has produced the body will will work itself out when that particular karma called prarabdha karma is exhausted this body will die what will happen to that lower bird then it will fly off in search of another tree it will get another tree according to its past karma with its bunch of fruits so that will be the next life and the higher bird pure consciousness atman brahman sakshi whatever you call it it doesn't come and go whichever tree this lower bird goes to that higher bird the pure consciousness is already there because the higher bird the pure consciousness is not limited all bodies uh, all minds and all sentient beings jivas they all are appearances in that higher bird actually in that higher consciousness in that limitless consciousness so wherever there is a body there is a mind there is reflected consciousness the original consciousness pure consciousness is already there wherever you see your face reflected in a mirror know for certain your real face is already there of course otherwise what's being reflected there 
So it's not the lower bird does fly from one bird one tree to another, but the higher bird is such that it's present in all the trees, and it's the same bird. Uh, I mean, we're stretching the example a little too far. Um, so pure consciousness is not limited; it's all pervasive. And um, as uh, over time, the lower bird evolves spiritually, uh, spiritually, and then begins to see the very limited nature of samsara, that the nature of samsara is full of suffering, and then looks for a way out. And it finds a way out when the higher bird it notices. Notices how? Maybe it, it is brought to its notice by the guru, by the texts, uh, teachings, by some combination of great good karma in the past. In some way, it comes to notice the, this higher bird. And then it tries to attain to this higher bird. And finally, it does attain to the higher bird. How does it attain? It undergoes in Vedanta, this process of Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. You listen to these teachings, you think about it thoroughly match it with your life, gain clarity. And once clarity is gained, you stay with it in Vedantic meditation until suddenly you realize, I always was the higher bird. And it was always it was always there, number one, and I was it. I am Brahman. What will happen to the lower bird? It disappears. Now, there is a... Let me speak just a little bit about it. Pre-enlightenment, post-enlightenment, what will happen? Pre-enlightenment, the... Lower bird, the ego. What is the ego? It's the ego with the reflected consciousness. Ego with the reflected consciousness is the lower bird. Pre-enlightenment, it is associated with the body and mind. It has no awareness of the higher bird. And it is just going through samsara, enjoying and suffering and being born and aging with the body. And the death of the body, flying off to another, find another tree. And thus from tree to tree, from lifetime to lifetime, it is going. This is pre-enlightenment. But post-enlightenment, what happens to the ego, the lower bird, the ego? Now, it does disappear, but what happens is, it will reappear again. But the distinction is, as Sri Ramakrishna says, uh, between the ripe ego and the unripe ego. In Bengali, he used the terms pakami, kachami. The unripe ego and the ripe ego. The unripe e ego, Sri Ramakrishna says, is uh, the one which says, my body, my house, my children. This is uh, I and mine. And that is the lower uh, bird. It is the unripe ego. The higher, the, the ripe ego, it, it is the one which says, uh, I am pure consciousness. I am the higher bird. It says that. It's still saying I am. It's, it's still a function of the mind. And uh, that one will continue uh, after enlightenment also but then that ego will be the uh, will be the ripe ego what you'll do with see the higher bird by itself pure consciousness by itself doesn't deal with the world you are the completely non-involved pure consciousness the background radiance of all life of all existence you're always there but you're not involved in anything not nothing can affect you and, and you also do not you're not involved just like you're like the screen of a movie for example you enable the whole thing to happen, but you are not intervening in it. You are not participating. How you will continue to interact with samsara is through that ripe ego. Let me repeat. After enlightenment, when we realize that we are the higher bird, 
still life will continue. Still the particular body will be there. The tree will be there. So then this ripe ego will reappear. Uh, and you, the pure consciousness, with full awareness of awareness, full knowledge that you are Brahman, you are Atman, you will realize this world, this tree, and its fruits, and this body, and the mind, the lower bird, they are all your glory. You are shining forth in these thousands of ways. And the life will continue, but you will use that uh, as an actor. The, the lower bird, will, the ripe ego will now be an actor on your behalf. You will act through that. And this is the life of the Jeevan Mukta, the enlightened one, who will live as long as this particular last of the trees which you inhabit, th that will go on. So this is the uh, basic story. Let me just go through the mantras. So Dva Suparna Sayuja Sakhaya. I gave you the English and the two birds. Um, they are similar. Why are they similar? One is both are consciousness. One is the real consciousness, other one is the reflected consciousness. One is the witness consciousness, and the other one is the jivatma, the sentient being. Um, they have similar qualities and they inhabit the same tree. Parishaswajate, they cling to the same tree, embodied. Tayor Anya, among them, the one of them, Pippalam Swadvati. Pippalam means figs. So it's a fig tree. <laughs> so it, it uh, pecks and uh, tastes the figs. Some are nice, some are bitter. Anashnananyo Abhichakashiti. Without eating, the other one looks on. One bird eats, hops around eating, the other one is constant and looking on. Looking on here is pure consciousness or illumining. It illumines. It provides consciousness, being and awareness to the lower bird. In fact, to everything, to the tree, to the fruits, to the lower bird. Everything is that one Brahman. This pigs reminds me um, a very sorrowful you know, depiction of the fig tree, Sylvia Plath. The, one of uh, America's most tragic and beloved young poets. So one of her, she, she killed herself. One of her poems, The Fig Tree, where she says that she saw her own life as a fig tree. And uh, there were so many figs on the tree. She sat below the fig tree and he thought, one of them is that I'll be a famous poet, which she became, of course. The other one is, I'm a teacher. The other one is, I'm a wife and homemaker. Another one is, I'm an explorer in far-off lands uh, and whatnot. And there are many, many other figs also. And she says, I kept on sitting below the tree and thinking, which one should I pluck? Which one should I peck and you know eat? <laughs> and then it takes a dark turn. She says, uh, uh, then I saw the figs one by one. They began to ripen and fall from the fig tree. And they became rotten and they fell one by one until none remained and life was gone. So, a slight turn to the metaphor. Anyway, um, now the next mantra, very dramatic mantra, mantra number two. Samane vrikshe purusha nimagno anishaya shochati muhyamanaha. 
जुष्टम यदा पश्यत्यन्यमीशम अस्य महिमानम इति वीत शोका What is it saying? On the same tree, the individual soul remains drowned or stuck as it were, and so it mourns or groans, being worried by its impotence. And when it sees the other, the adored Lord and his glory, then it becomes liberated from sorrow. On the same tree, the lower bird, it suffers. It goes from lifetime to lifetime. And it's not a pleasant journey. It's a struggle. Once in a while it's pleasant. It's pleasant enough when you taste the sweet fruits. And it's enough incentive for it to continue that way. But on the whole, it's a struggle. It's, it's very difficult. It says it groans as it were. It moans as it were. It grieves, Shochati. Muhyamana, depressed in life. Until it sees the Jushtam. The Jushtam, the word means the adored one the worshipful one it sees so this is a great blessing in life when spirituality becomes real for us in whichever form it may be in this path of knowledge in advaita vedanta it could be devotional it could be buddhistic in whichever form there is a possibility of transcendence see the the higher bird is the transcendent it is that which is beyond this sense bound time bound space bound circumstance-bound life. And this life will be, what we are going through now, will be so dramatically described. And I want to read it out to you, the original Sanskrit. Shankaracharya writes a very dramatic description of the trouble we are in. This is Shankaracharya's commentary to the second mantra. It says, in this body, I'll read out the Sanskrit and then the English. शरीरे पुरुषो भोक्ता जीव अविद्या काम कर्म फल रागादि गुरु भाराक्रांतो अलाबुरिव सामुद्रे जले निमग्नो इट सेज इन दिस वेरी बॉडी द इंडिविजुअल बीइंग द लोअर बर्ड द सेंटियन बीइंग दैट्स यू दैट्स आई बीइंग सांकन it's immersed in, in as if it's a, it's a bottle gourd and it's immersed in the water of the ocean, the ocean of samsara. And we are not floating happily. We are immersed in it. We are heavy laden. We are, we are laden under the heavy weight of ignorance, avidya, of desire, karma, unfulfilled desire, frustration, karma, and the actions we are taking to fulfill these desires continuously. And ragadvesha, strong pulls and cravings, strong dislikes and uh, uh, disgusts. Guru bhara kranta, you know, heavy guru, this is almost every language, Indian languages will immediately easily translate, translatable. The heavy laden, we are heavily laden by samsara. The world lies heavy upon our shoulders. Like a water gourd, which is immersed in the ocean of, uh, water of the ocean. Ocean is the ocean of samsara. Samudra jali nimagna. Nishchayena dehatma bhava panno. Ayameva aham. Completely identified with this body. And completely certain 
this is who I am. We never ever can question it. See, that's why Vedanta is, Advaita Vedanta is a little difficult because it calls into question our basic idea about ourselves. We may even believe in God. We may even believe in a supreme uh, spiritual power. Believing in God comes easier to us rather than ever to believe that I am limitless existence consciousness place. We are so sure this is who I am. This aging, defective, um, declining body, this mind which is so easily upset and delicate, this is who I am. That's all. I am Evaham. This is who I am. Amushya Putra, the, the son, the child of such and such one. Asya Napta, the grandchild of such and such one. I am that person's grand, grand um, son. I am this person's son. Krisha, Stula, Gunava, Nirguna. I am um, skinny. I am overweight. This is the body. But I think I am skinny or I am overweight. I have certain qualities or I do not have certain qualities of the body, of character, of, of, um, of intellect. And therefore, Sukhi, Dukhi. I am happy. I am miserable. Equally deluded. Both are equally deluded. Evam Pratyaya. And so this is our understanding. Pratyaya is our cognition about ourselves. This is our self-understanding. Nasti Asmaditi. And there is no other truth. Asmad. Other than this, there is no other truth. This seems so obvious to us that to challenge it seems crazy. But Vedanta is challenging it. It's Vedanta saying you are wrong. This is the lower bird. This is the lower bird. Jayate, Mriyate, Sangyujyate, Viyujyate, Cha Sambandhi Bandhavehi. How miserable, born and dying, coming into contact with relatives and beloved ones and being Viyujyate, uh, being torn apart from uh, beloved ones and, and relatives. And thus goes our life. So what's our reaction? Ato anishaya na kasya chit samatho aham putro mamo vinashta mritami bhadya king me jivitena. Alas, it says, and therefore impotent, powerless, disturbed by our that utter helplessness, the helplessness of the human condition. Anisha, isha means power. Anisha means uh, powerless. Um, shaken by our powerlessness in this life. I am not capable of doing anything in this world. Why? Uh, why? What's wrong? Putro mamo vinashta mitami bhadya. I've lost my son. I've lost my children. My wife is dead. King may jivitena. What's the use of living? Thus we say, alas, evam dina bhava. This utterly miserable state, anisha, this is called powerlessness, helplessness. Just yesterday we were reading in our Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna class, um, you know, somebody has come, Adhar Sen has come to visit Sri Ramakrishna and he's bought his friend who has lost his elder son. And uh, um, Sri Ramakrishna says, your grief is but natural. He gives an example of of uh, the great uh, Rakshasa king, the demon king Ravana, who is finally slain by Rama. Uh, but when they 
see his body, all the bones of Ravana are filled with holes, you know, perforated by holes. And Lakshmana says to his brother, Oh, wonderful is your archery. Not a single bone of his is there, you know, which has not been pierced by your arrows. And Rama says, No, it is not my arrows. He is, his bones are, uh, uh, it, it's, he's pierced by the grief for his children. So, how touching that is. Huh? So it is uh, in all the battles, Indrajit and other sons of Ravana, they have all been killed in the battles before, before Ravana himself was killed. But Sri Ramakrishna is pointing out that the absolute desperate nature of, of the grief of losing a child. And so how, what a stark illustration. The very bones of this person have become hollow, hollowed out by grief. Um, here Shankaracharya says, this is anisha, helplessness, helplessness. And taya shochati, santapyate, grieves. And so, so a person grieves. In depression, muhihamana. Aneke ranatha prakare abhivekataya chintam apadhyamana. By all kinds, beset by all kinds of griefs. But aviveka, this is all born, this is unnecessary. It is all born of not being able to discern one's real nature. Lack of discernment. Remember, not that the things in the world will not happen. Everything that's happening in the world and in the body will keep on happening. But you can save yourself from your suffering. You can transcend. Um, in the midst of all of this, you can remain unshaken, serene, and you'll have a source of unshaken calm and peace if you realize the higher bird, that I am that higher bird. And then he says, Jushtam yada pasyati, when that worshipful one, that adorable one is realized, you realize that not this physical body, not this subtle body, the mind, um, not even this ego, I am the limitless consciousness which is shining upon this body-mind. I am not born with the birth of this body. I do not age with the death of this body. I am not anybody's son or grandson. None of, no one of mine is either born or dies. The one which who I think are lost to be. My son is dead, my wife is dead, what is the use of living? But what I consider to be my son and my wife, are there at that same one consciousness, which I am, and which is never lost to me. As far as the body is concerned, that was never related to me. So the body, the person may be dead physically, but in reality the person is not dead. Just as I in reality do not die, because I am that one consciousness. So this is not theoretical, it actually happens. So when he realizes that, um, and sees the glory, Shankaracharya says, Vibhuti mahimanam cha jagatrupa masyeva mama parameshwarasya. This entire world is the glory of that one consciousness. See, until now this world was struggle. This is the beauty of it. In ignorance for the little bird, for the lower bird, this world was a struggle, a place of terror, of struggle, of fear. Because it identified itself with only one tiny part of it, this one body-mind. 
But when you realize you are that pure consciousness, Atman, then this entire world, including this body, including this mind, and all bodies and all minds, and everything that happens in the world, living and non-living, becomes your glory. He says, Jagatrupamasyeva Mahimanam, the glory which is this universe. Whose glory? Mama Parameshwarasya, of mine. I am that uh, supreme self, Paramatma. And he says, Naitaro avidya, avidya janita upadi parichinna mayatma. Very interesting term is used by Shankaracharya. The lower bird he calls the mayatma, the, the illusory self. I think I am that, but I am actually not that. It's an appear. No more than you are the one in, the, in your own dreams. When you fall asleep and dream at night, you are there as a character in your own dreams. When you wake up, you realize... I wasn't that. I was just sleeping and dreaming all of it. Similarly, when you wake up to your real nature as the higher bird, you realize you are you always were free of the um, that this lower bird. Uh, it was an appearance, Maya Atma. He says, Avidya Janita Upadi Parichinna. Upadi means this body, this mind, as if limited by this body. I was my limitless consciousness as if I was limited by this body mind. Before I go on to the next mantra, I think we can take a few couple of questions. The next mantra will give you the results of enlightenment. For a Jeevan Mukta, Sri Ram says, the Kacha ego is obliterated, Manonasha. And the ripe ego reappears post. Um, is this volitional part of Jeevan Mukta out of compassion for the benighted? Um, the lower ego is gone forever. Sri Ramakrishna puts it this way, the ego doesn't die, but it's the, the unripe ego is transformed into the ripe ego, and you are not identified with it anymore. So the ego just becomes a function of the mind, and you are not the mind anyway. It's part of the instrument, body-mind instrumentation, and it just enables you to play your role in the world. I have mentioned this earlier also, according to Panchadarshi, what happens is the ego, the I sense, Used in three senses, I mentioned this number of times. Used in three senses, in one way by the ignorant and in two ways by the enlightened. By the ignorant, the, the ego, the I, is used only as, I am this body-mind. That's all. It's, there is no other, as Shankaracharya says, there is nothing else other than this for the ignorant. They feel, I am this one and everybody else and everything else is different from me. But for the enlightened one, the ego is used in two senses. One sense is, uh, I am pure consciousness. I am the higher word. I am the witness of everything that happens in life. And I am not affected. I am not born with the birth of the body. I do not age or die with the death of the aging and death of the body. I am not upset with the upset of the mind. I am not sick with the sickness in the prana or, or, you know, or hungry and thirsty in the prana. I am the witness of it all. So that's the one, that's one use of the um, ego of, of, of I for the enlightened one. The second use of I for the enlightened one is this body mind, the body mind of the enlightened one. It is used secondarily in order to transact with us. So Sri Ramakrishna would say, I, I'm going to go to Calcutta. Is Atman or Brahman going to Calcutta? No. It's the body-mind that uh, which is going from one place to another. 
I will have a glass of water. Sri Ramakrishna would often say after coming down from Samadhi. Now, is consciousness going to have a glass of water? No. It's, it is used in a secondary sense. So the enlightened one uses I in these two senses. The enlightened one will not use such peculiar language as I, the limitless existence, consciousness, bliss, through this mind and body would like to have a glass of water. No, the enlightened one will just say, I will have a glass of water. But there the enlightened one is using I in a secondary sense. And sometimes you can catch them slipping up. Sri Ramakrishna would sometimes refer to this body-mind as this place, ekhankar, for this place, completely as an object. Um, so that is the state of a jivan mukta. And Sri Ramakrishna, of course, we regard him as an avatar, but uh, he illustrates perfectly the state of a jivan mukta. On the bell jar, uh, Sonali has given us a beautiful quote. I took a deep breath and I listened to the old brag of my heart. I am, I am, I am. Yes. So Vishwanath says, these two mantras we studied together appear to open to a dualistic interpretation, like 2.2.11. Yes. So the dualistic commentators are very happy here. Because there are two. The Dwa Suparna Sayuja Sakhaya. Dwa. Two. There are two. Non-dualism says there are not two. But clearly here the Upanishad says there are two. But... Um, and, and so then the dualistic commentator will go on to say that these two are the Paramatma and Jivatma, are God and the human. You are the sentient being and there is an ultimate reality which is God, which you are not. They are different. Two birds. There are two. What will the Advaiti non-dualist say? The Advaiti will say, wait. <laughs> Complete the three mantras. See where it is going. Complete the metaphor. The lower bird will disappear into the higher bird and sees that only the higher bird exists. Again, non-dualism. So it's meant to show us. Definitely, we have a dualistic experience right now. For us, pure consciousness, God, whatever we call it, seems to be other than us because I clearly don't seem to be that. But as we investigate, as we understand and meditate, it becomes more and more clear uh, to, to us that we, I and that are one, one reality. And this entire cosmos is my appearance. And somebody asked, I don't understand, how can the world be in me? True, the world is not in you if you are a body. If you are, if you are a body, which we feel, we directly feel we are, then we are in the world. Here is the world, here is the body, it's in the world, clearly. But now take one step further. Is this an accurate description? Here is the world and here is the body? No, I am aware of the world. I am aware of this body. Now, take, take it from the perspective of awareness. In awareness, the world is there. In awareness, the body is there. I'm not saying this is a conclusive argument, but see how the perspective changed. If you just say body, body is in the world, no doubt about it. The world is not in the body. But now if you change the perspective to awareness, you will have to admit in a certain sense the world of our experience and the body which we experience are both experienced in awareness. All right. So yes, uh, the dualistic commentators love this, this, this mantra, that it seems two. But if you complete the mantra one, two, three, you will see it is again non-dualistic. Ashish says, I read in Meditation Spiritual Life that we should find place for the wicked people and circumstances. 
can you please give some examples for these place for wicked people in circumstances means i'm not sure in what is the context it says that uh, uh, to keep the mind I, I believe so that's the context to keep the mind calm you should find a place for uh, wicked people and certain places is it something similar to you know it's my you know it's because of karma it is happening something like that I suppose so. Uh, place for wicked people and difficult circumstances. Uh, naturally, because our tendency is to resist. And then it leads to friction in life. People we don't like, people who make life difficult for us, we tend to push them away. One, But imagine space. Everything is there in space. If The more we become space-like, we allow everything to exist and everything to continue. And yet space is not affected by anything. Space is not at all affected by anything. The whole universe exists because space gives space for the universe. But whatever happens in the universe, it affects everything in the universe. But space itself is not affected. I'm not talking about Einsteinian physics and how the space is bent and all that. But anyway, I'm giving a, a general uh, as, an, as an example. Pure consciousness, Atman, Brahman, the higher bird, is the witness. It illumines the entire display of this universe, like a magical display. And it's not affected at all. It, it, is, not, it is not born, it does not die. Everything is one with it. There is not one person, one place, one happening, which is alien to it or difficult for it, which it, it resists. So imagine the peace and the glory and the... And the joy there. And the more we become like that, the more happy we'll be. I've seen one thing common to many of the senior advanced monks I've seen, uh, spiritually advanced. They are not against anybody. Of course, they can't condone, um, you know, villainous activities. They, they might, they will try to uh, either correct it or pray for the well, welfare or the change of heart of those who are evil or wicked. But they are not even against those um, evil or wicked people. Because they understand ultimately it's all the higher bird. It's the lower bird which seems to be evil or wicked. And as the lower bird, we we make friends with some of the other lower birds. And we, have, we are against many of the other lower birds. But as the higher bird, we realize there are no lower birds apart from me. All of those are my reflections. And so the higher bird cannot be against any of the lower birds. And the higher bird need not be against any of the lower birds because the higher bird can never be harmed or limited or disturbed by any of the lower birds. The lower birds, they harm each other and they disturb each other. But from that, that perspective, uh, not that you will give a blank check to people who are nasty or evil. You'll try to stop them and correct them for their own benefit and for the benefit of others. Yeah. But I've seen um, the I've seen many of the senior monks. Uh, they are they give shelter to everybody. They give shelter to everybody. People we criticize, we uh, don't like, we find them they clearly. Annoying people, disturbing people, but they find uh, a place with these uh, spiritually developed souls, you know, spiritually advanced souls.
I have seen the poor, the desperate, the addict, the mentally ill, um, the even the so-called cunning and wicked. They are like children before these uh, spiritually great ones because the spiritually great ones are childlike, but they are not childish. They are not fools. They understand everything. Just as to you, a child trying to be mischievous or naughty is absolutely transparent to you. You can see through it easily. Similarly, for the spiritually advanced ones, they see through us easily. Every bit of it is clear to them. But they seem to be like uh, you know indulgent grandparents to us. But uh, the difference between uh, ordinarily loving persons and a spiritual, uh, uh, spiritually advanced one is what they do is good for us. They will take us forward in our spiritual journey. Yes. All right. Thank next, you. next day, I will take up the third part. The third part just talks about the enlightenment. So, if you realize you are the higher bird, what will happen? Basically, the answer will be you will realize non-duality. You will realize you will come to paramam samyam. That means complete oneness. In life. You will go through life. You will see the differences. But you know truly, behind the scenes, it's all one. There's only one actor. All the characters are only one actor. And that one actor is you. You are literally all of these people in this universe. It's an amazing vision. And it's uh, it's not theory. It's, it's practically obvious to the enlightened one. It's continuously obvious to the enlightened one. All right. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Arpanamastu